0: Oftentimes enlightening and informative and above all else, deeply human for tuning in to this episode of Give and Take. My guest is Jordan Alzevede. He's an insurance economist who specializes in healthcare insurance. He's currently a visiting scholar at Emory University in Atlanta. He's also affiliated in the finance department at the University of Queensland Business School. He's particularly interested in in the way people behave around things like insurance fraud and how that intersects with religious beliefs and personal motivation. He's an interesting guy. He's a new friend. And I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. I give you Jordan Alzebue. Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Oh,
1: thank you, Scott. Uh, I really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on the show.
0: and my pleasure, my you are pleasure. an expert in healthcare insurance markets, including healthcare fraud, healthcare, you know, Medicare for all, uh, COVID on insurance markets. Let me ask you this: you you're from Jordan. You're e- Jordan from Jordan. Yes. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> And why did you study healthcare insurance markets? You could have studied, you you, you left Jordan to do a PhD. Why this special field in economics?
1: Well, healthcare insurance is very interesting and it's different than like all other uh, lines of uh, insurance. For many reasons, like when we're talking, I can give you more detailed information in a minute. Like when we're talking about serious issues in the insurance markets, like fraud, asymmetric information, moral hazard issues, they are serious issues in all insurance markets. But somehow they're different the way, you know, like it happening, they're happening or it occurs from individuals or healthcare providers are are completely different. So I can give you more detailed in.
0: But why the... did you want to study that instead of a different thing in economics? Like what made you want to study that?
1: Uh, yeah, I'll tell you, healthcare insurance is a big issue. A lot of people around the world, from my perspective, specific, especially in the Middle East, are dying because they don't have like healthcare insurance or they cannot afford buying healthcare insurance or because healthcare insurance is largely provided by the private sectors. So I decided to study health care insurance because I thought when I have more detailed knowledge about it I could potentially solve the issues in the health care insurance market
0: that makes insurance not affordable. Do you do you know anybody that personally like in Jordan that died because they didn't have health care insurance?
1: Well, I see a lot of people like dying not not just one person specifically in the small villages where I was Raised, you know, like I, I you know, uh, I was raised in a very small village in the northern part of Jordan called Nahle, you know, which is B in English. So I've seen a lot of people are not financially stable and you know having a hard time, you know, to get uh, medical treatment because they don't have generous healthcare insurance, and some of them uh, never had insurance at all. So it's kind of you know growing up seeing such poor people around is really is sad, you know. Then like growing up studying insurance I decided well let me do healthcare insurance
0: so according to the insurance research count right this is a pretty big insurance uh, group it, approximately 21 to 36% of the claims in that people file you know they go and file a claim and it, 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 in nine states, and Florida is, is ground zero for the biggest. Are fraudulent, right? And, and insurance fraud costs Americans at least eighty billion dollars a year, or nearly nine hundred and fifty dollars for each family in two thousand three. Healthcare fraud alone costs pe- costs the American people fifty four billion dollars a year. Healthcare spending is, is it's costs it's costly. It costs us. Next to the military, it's probably one of the biggest things we spend, like $3.5 trillion, 18% of the GDP. Property and causality estimated claim fraud costs Americans $27 billion in 2001. Why do so many people commit insurance fraud? or What's the economic rationale behind de- defrauding an insurance fraud? Yep, yep.
1: This is really something interesting that we do like
0: the insurance market or insurance
1: economists do try to uh, you know, examine the motivations behind insurance fraud. So like if I want to like just define insurance fraud is basically the fact in which policyholders misrepresent themselves, you know, or misrepresent misrepresent or inflate the size of the claim or file claim that never happened. And, you know, the economic rationale uh, behind it is that to a large extent, people tend to have bad perception about insurance where they try to defraud insurance company and obtain financial gain. This is one of it. So if you think about it, it's all about costs versus benefits. If the policyholder, holder, as a matter of fact, knows that the financial gain from committing fraud uh, is significantly higher than the cost of committing fraud, knowing that the probability of getting caught is slim, he or she will become more motivated and it's likely to commit fraud. This is one reason. It's like you look at the cost versus, uh, the, you know, the benefits of committing, the financial gain of committing uh, fraud. Uh, yeah. And, um,
0: yeah. I you think some of the reason, too, is like people like, they feel like the insurance company people s- are screwing them over. Like, that, you know, they're not paying for all their treatments. They're not paying for like, you know, it takes so long to get a claim filed and get your money back. Like, you know, I feel like the insurance company makes money by not giving the care.
1: Yes, it's not by, this is a big issue in the insurance market, we call it bad, bad faith. And a lot of people, when I discuss with them insurance fraud, they think that defrauding insurance company and making money out of insurance is something else, okay? And they think like insurance companies, when you have a valid claim and file it, insurance company have this like negative behavior in which like they act in bad faith, they spend longer time like settling your claims in order to make you get tired and bring you to the negotiation uh, table Instead of paying you, let's say, assuming that your claim is $10,000, they give you $5,000 and you will be happy after that. You will say, yes, $5,000 is better than uh, nothing. And this is, yes, I agree with you. And again, this goes back to my aerial argument that people tend to have bad perception about insurance, bad perception about insurance companies, that it's a business that takes my money, making money left and right, and just, you know, don't, you know, pay the premium, Oh, sorry, don't cover the claims when the risk happens, you know, when when I really need the money to have them cover my loss.
0: Why do insurance companies not cover the claims? Like, I mean, do you think that's just in the fine print or like, is this a problem with for-profit insurance? Because insurance companies, the less claims they cover, the more money they make. So should we have for-profit insurance?
1: Yeah, well, I, as you said, like, they are, some of them are greedy. They just want to make more money, you know. But, you know, the actual reason behind it, you know, is that they're just acting in bad faith. Not all of them. Like, when I say there is some research in the insurance literature, you know, and insurance economists examine bad faith, and, you know, there is no specific reason why, you know, they decide to not to file a claim. Part of it is that they feel maybe your claim is... valid. They spend more time. They need more time to audit and investigate your claim to make sure it's really valid. And this takes time. And then some people when the insurance company do that, they think they just act or being nitpicky to reject their claims. So in one way or another, I cannot tell you that they always reject claims. They just spend enough time and efforts to try to give you a fair settlement that it's win-win for both.
0: But. but Medicare Medicare does not spend as much time um, investigating fraud. And th- it seems like Medicare costs less money, right? Like, I mean, it, it seems like a lot of private insurance is caught. It, it, one of the reasons the costs are like they're so afraid people are committing fraud and they don't want to pay out the claims. So it seems like it w- would single payer make things in- less expensive or more expensive?
1: Speaking of Medicare for all, like, so the question is, like, why do... With I I would tell you what I think about Medicare for all, and a lot of people ask me before I answer your your question: Do you support Medicare for all? Now my answer for you is that as a normal or Democrat person who have Democrat, Democrat beliefs, you know I would tell you, yeah, yes, let's do it. Why not? It's a great idea, and I would tell you Medicare is a right everybody deserve to have. As I told, I said earlier to have a generous health care insurance and it has never been a privilege but as an insurance economist i would think carefully like really I, I would still propose medicare for all but i would think carefully before proposing medicare large part of it because if you see a lot of politicians and normal people out there who call for medicare for all do not understand the economics now you talked about the single payer so when i propose medicare for all i need a uh, to think about the cost. I need to think about certain issues. And I will give you an example about, you know, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth uh, Warren's uh, Medicare bill, you know, has major issues like the first, the cost. You know, I need to figure out how could I potentially cover the cost of Medicare for all. And I will get back to your question. So they, those politicians, not only in the U.S., but different parts of the world, they still don't, do not or don't have a clear idea how to pay for Medicare for all. So you ask about the single payer, right? Sanders himself proposed a single payer plan, which if you what's single payer plan? It eliminates all the private health insurance plans. That means the insurance is gonna be governmental or state.
0: Single payer is the government and we pay with our taxes.
1: Yeah, yes. Yes, that's but they will eliminate no more private healthcare insurance market.
0: Could couldn't you get like supplemental insurance if you have money like buy extra insurance or
1: this could happen this something is good but uh, he says he made it clear that no more private health care insurance and this like i'm gonna go back to the cost argument this would cost more than 30 trillion in additional government spending over a decade now the question is who's gonna pay this cost and i go to you to what you said Somebody has to pay.
0: Can you say trillion again with rolling that L? You said Tri-
1: trillion. Yeah, you're talking I l- about. I that.
0: love it. I mean, that's. Yeah. A, it, I feel like <laughs> that you're rolling that L, emphasize the amount of money. <laughs> like you rolled three L's that's three tr- 30 30 trillion. Trillion, <laughs> yeah, because that's 30 trillion. Because I want to emphasize.
1: I want to emphasize on that because this is not I'm not billion trillion U.S. dollars in additional government spending, and again, who's going to pay for that? Somebody's always have has to pay the cost. And in economics, this is funny. I always teach my students, or when I discuss economics with my friends, no free lunch. This cost, I think, sooner or later, would be paid by individuals in the form of higher taxes. And you said it. Like we would think, oh, I'm not going to pay premium, but your taxes would would increase significantly, so I would pay the premium indirectly via uh, taxes. This is the first
0: cost, and isn't Bernie Sanders' argument that we would pay that the tax increase would be smaller than the premium?
1: Well, I uh, listen to me, I, I'm not expert in that, but I don't think so. This would happen like. I'm going to just let me finish my second argument and you would see why I think that way. So then he says the Medicare for all would would cover all medical expenses for individuals, right? Like you just go to a medical doctor, which means there is no cost-sharing mechanism, which means like zero co-payments, zero co-insurance and deductibles. And as economists, I would tell you that's deeply unrealistic. Now, if those politicians, our normal people who call for Medicare for all, understand the economics behind insurance they would know that increase this would increase utilization and cause a major moral hazard issue now when i say moral hazard let me explain it very quick that people become careless since they are fully covered and would behave in riskier ways now sanders if you think about Sanders' proposal, claims, and this is, like, really made me, like, upset about what he's thinking, you know. Sanders claims that his cost-sharing mechanism would not increase utilization. I completely, again, completely disagree with him. And it's simple economics. If I'm not saying he doesn't understand economics, but it's simple economics. If adding cost sharing to healthcare system, what we have right now, would reduce access, think about it, and then reduce utilization, what we have right now. We have, right, then removing cost sharing would. produce the opposite effect in the form of polarization and then expending. You see what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, but I think the problem is there, like, if for ice cream that's true, or for going to the bar or the restaurant, but most people don't like to go to the doctors. And so I don't think people are going to be like, oh my gosh, I can go to the doctors free, I'm going to go more. Most people don't like to go to the doctors, so they only...
1: No, no, this is a moral hazard issue is a big, serious issue. When you are fully covered, you become less careless and you are like, more, you are more like, this is like, this is like One of the research I do is as an adverse selection, moral hazard issues are... No, if you provide something free, people will take it for granted.
0: So what do people go to the doctors for and use insurance that they wouldn't with private insurance? Like what conditions? Mm-hmm. So, so, so what disease or what kind of thing that they don't need to go to the doctor would they go to if they had free no
1: listen when when like if you provide any anytime you feel like you're sick and i'm looking but like, this will not be the case anymore. so you will go see a medical doctor anytime like you're bored maybe you're tired or something but when i bear sharing like for instance like fair deductible payments like this would be the issue you only see a medical doctor if needed
0: I mean, I had an insurance once where it was only, my copay was very small, $20. Yeah, and I just had a couple medications I took regularly, right? Yeah. And they used to have to beg me to come in. Like, to to every six, seven months, I just had to see the doctor for 20 minutes. And I didn't want to go in, and that was only $20. I mean, I didn't, yeah. I, had, I had a cheap copay, and I never wanted to go to the doctors, because because I used to sit in the room. I didn't want to get my blood pressure taken. I didn't want to, I just didn't want to answer all the questions. I mean, I just don't like.
1: <laughs> so here the thing. Why would care provider ask come to get Like to This is a very important question. Because right now we're talking about the moral hazard issue. It's from the policyholder side. It's We're talking here about double moral hazard issue. This is another moral hazard issue from the healthcare provider side, because they know you have healthcare insurance by coming in, by inviting you over, by telling you, "Oh, come do this, checkups, up, so you know, blah blah blah, blood pressure, whatever." They provided you unneeded medical mm-hmm. services to take advantage of your insurance. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, to take advantage of your insurance. You know, and this you're talking about you pay okay, for a long time. And this is the third issue about Medicare for All. I'm going to talk about it very quick. So waiting period. Like if we're going to provide Medicare for All, which is I support, we need to think about waiting periods. Providing Medicare for All means that long wait times to see doctors. And this depends on how quickly the system can adapt and how much demand out there. Do we really have the capacity to deal with the significant increase on medical services like hospitals clinics medical staff medical equipments you name it like if you think about it like we really don't and i give you an example america right now is freaking out because the covid-19 pandemic like if we don't have we can provide medicare for all but we need to think about these serious issues how we deal with like long waiting period how we cover the cost how we deal with the moral hazard issue and by also providing a fair like cost sharing mechanism like this is me like like that would 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 really itself a lot of these issues
0: when you go to the doctor's yeah. Do, you want, do you walk around asking, are they efficient? Are they? How much are they ripping me off? As a healthcare economist, what's it like for you to go to the doctors? That's an interesting question for me.
1: That, I think, is a good question. I know, as a matter of fact, when I go see a medical doctor, to some extent, or maybe to a large extent, like healthcare providers somehow would manage to take advantage of my insurance. By, for instance, uh, you know, providing... And needed medical services okay uh, or prescribe ir- irrelevant medication okay? and this sometimes it depends on the medical facilities that uh, provide what whatever medical services they provide and for instance you might go see medi- you might like see a, a medical doctor for a serious medical treatment and these treatments are valid for instance you know open heart surgery but the medi- m- medication and the drugs that are provided afterwards are not Relevant or needed, so I think about this when I go see a medical doctor. So I always say, if I have a serious medical issue, maybe the surgery itself valid, but the services, the medical services afterwards are not valid because I am not a medical doctor. I don't know. One more thing I always think of when I see a medical doctor is that which is a serious issue in the healthcare insurance market, and I myself trying, you know, and I read a lot of papers about it: overbilling and upcoding. It's really serious issue issue in uh, in the healthcare insurance market. And when I say upcoding, it happens when healthcare providers change the codes of who provided medical, medical services into a more intensive and expensive services to gain from insurance companies. So they know you have the insurance. You go see a medical doctor. You get it treated. Each medical treatment has a code. So what they do, they change the code to make money out of insurance companies. And you ended up buying the codes out of your bucket.
0: So, maybe you had. Uh, I heard a, 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 on a podcast recently, they talked about this. Like they said, that one of the doctors was talking about COVID 19. And they were talking about right now, hospitals get more money to di- to diagnose positive on COVID 19. And so somebody came with COVID 19. And another thing, they might have died of heart disease, but COVID 19 sped it up. But if you put COVID 19 first, you get more money from the insurance yes, company.
1: Like I need to dig deeper. I think each COVID nineteen case. I think correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you know have more detailed information about it would cost right away three thousand five hundred dollars. And right now, individuals in the US don't pay for it. I think the government is paying for it. And this is a big money for you. Yeah, we're
0: doing socialized medicine right now. Yeah, COVID. Which,
1: which is good. Which is good. We need to do that. But like healthcare providers are taking advantage of this opportunity because if you look at fraud in the healthcare insurance market is different than auto insurance or homeowner insurance. Ask me why. Like, ask me why. I want you to, to ask me why it's different.
0: Jordan. Yes. Why is it different?
1: Okay. Thank you. So, <laughs> that's a, I want you to ask me this question. I would tell you, like, we have a unique sitting in the healthcare insurance market in which you, as a policyholder, cannot file a claim without an action of healthcare provider, right? Which means that you need to get sick, go see a medical doctor, get treated, and then a claim can be filed. This is unlike auto insurance or homeowner insurance where you can easily file a claim to the insurance company. So in the auto insurance market, you have full control of the claim. In the healthcare insurance market, no. You need to get sick, get treated, and then a claim can be filed, which would mitigate fraud from the policyholder side. This is one thing. The other thing, a fraud is committed from like multiple parties in the healthcare insurance market, unlike auto insurance or homeowner insurance. So fraud in the healthcare insurance market can be committed by the healthcare provider, police holder, or both when they collude together. Most importantly, this is very important, healthcare providers are a lot more involved in the healthcare insurance market than police holders. They don't only provide medical services, but also they, to a large extent, have full control of the claim after you get treated. And this also would mitigate fraud from your side as a policyholder and make, you know, healthcare provider more powerful, more powerful or in a position to be presented with many opportunities to, to behave dishonestly and defraud insurance companies. And this is why we see, we always argue. And one of my research projects is about fraud in the insurance market. I provided significant evidence that fraud is largely committed by healthcare providers, not police holders like we see in auto insurance or homeowner insurance. Does that make sense?
0: So what you're, what you're saying is that in the home, in the home market, Um, home insurance, insurance, like people are more likely to destroy something to get the insurance.
1: Yes, the moral hazard issue.
0: They're like... But in healthcare, people are worried about their lives. They're not usually trying to like...
1: No, no. It's not they're worried about life. If they get the opportunity, I think they would. Right. But you... Like the opportunity to commit fraud in the healthcare insurance market from a police holder is slim. Think about it. You cannot file a claim until you go see a medical doctor. Right? One thing. The other thing... Healthcare providers provide medical services. You can tell a medical doctor, like, I need this type of medication, or, and they file the claim on your behalf. So the only case that you would see such a fraud is that if the healthcare providers collude with the police holder, you know. But most of the cases, healthcare providers take advantage of your insurance because it's provided by the government or via your employer in the group healthcare insurance market, and then they just provided you unneeded services, Medication, they do upcoding, overpilling, you name.
0: It. So you, you've done research about religion and healthcare, and uh, and how if you're religious or if you're irreligious. So if you're a health insurance. Company and you were allowed to do this. Should you ensure religious people over irreligious people? Would you get less fraud? Right now, nation, if you like
1: treat religious people like more, like with them more med- medical treatment compared to irreligious. And, and first of all, we cannot identify them. But if you look at the research in the econ literature, you would see that in sh- economists in general, in general, provided evidences that religion and culture influence economic. Now, I do argue that religion and uh, religiosity influence the fraud, fraud rate, would reduce fraud rate. Because if you look at those religious individuals, they follow the book, the Holy Quran or the Torah or the people. So they care about like the deeds that they could potentially get from God, which is the utility they could get from God represented by the deeds by following these books. All right. And this is why they they have more Morals And the researchers provided evidence that religious people tend to be more honest and moral, like have more moral responsibility compared to irreligious people. Like this is economist. Now, irreligious individuals, I'm not saying they don't have morals. They do. But like some of them tend to care more about the economic value. So if I know by committing fraud, there is a slim chance I will be getting caught. So the the benefits of, of committing fraud is higher than the cost of getting caught. So I care about this economic value. So I ended up more motivated to commit fraud. This is not the case for religious individuals who don't think about the monetary value or the economic value of gaining money out of insurance companies. They think about the religious value that they would lose by committing fraud and violating the holy books, like holy Quran, again, Torah or Bibles. And you name whatever religions, you know, you think of. Does that make sense?
0: It makes very much sense. Yeah, yeah
1: absolutely. Yeah, that's something I work on. And I basically, in one of my papers, you know, come up with a theoretical model to explain how religiosity influenced negative claiming behavior or negative acts that influence what we call it asymmetric confirmation in the healthcare insurance market. And I, you know, I clearly explained that the marginal utility of, you know, doing any negative acts, you know, in which, you know, like for, for religious individuals is the marginal utility that they would gain from, you know, following the book, the holy Qurans and not doing any negative acts or negative claiming behavior is significantly higher than the marginal utility they would or could potentially gain from acting negatively and defraud insurance companies or you know withhold information or misrepresent themselves to get lower rates from insurance companies.
0: which which religion is the most honest?
1: Well uh, this is a very interesting question and I think my findings applies to all religious individuals but I, I will tell you right now in my data set I use like Muslims like religious mo- Muslims as a proxy for religiosity and from takaful islamic insurance markets so i provided that the negative the negative claim, claiming behavior or the level of asymmetric information is significantly lower among religious population or muslims you know compared to other uh, religions large part of it because if you read through the holy quran it's clearly and the prophet muhammad's teaching clearly you would see that withholding information as uh, you know misrepresentation of fraud or any bad acts are completely forbidden like a like a red line
0: so how often do you read the holy quran
1: i'm well that's i think it's a personal question but i would tell you like sometimes but i'm not that religious individual
0: what's what's the favorite part like you like to read
1: uh, i really don't know you are asking me like I really don't know. I don't know very detailed information. I, like I have, like, I have not read the Holy Quran for a while, so I
0: cannot. Uh, are there any favorite stories you have from the Holy Quran? Or
1: <sighs> well, th- there is a lot of stories in the Holy Quran, but I like the stories that you know encourage individuals to have morals, to not to lie, to not to withhold informations, and so on. So like. Uh, There's a lot of stories, and if you read through the Holy Quran, Torah, and Bible, you would see that there's a lot of similarities, and this is where I'm coming from. I argue that my findings apply to all religious individuals, and what I'm saying, like I made it clear at some conferences that I'm not trying to show that religious Muslim police holders are better class of a religious Muslim, or what other individuals out there in the world what i'm saying is that the negative claiming behavior among religious individuals whether they are christian jews muslims hindus you name it like and their economic behavior should be or is likely to be different than the behavior of religious individuals or people who are affiliated with other religions right that makes sense for you
0: yeah Is COVID-19 going to just kill the insurance industry or no?
1: Well, I think I've got uh, this question before. Like some people ask me, and if I want to rephrase your question, what is the effect of COVID-19 in insurance markets? Well, my answer for you, I would tell you, like the insurance industry will for sure face significant challenges dealing with COVID. For instance, we're talking about healthcare insurance. Currently, healthcare insurers are already struggling with decisions that will affect their direct costs related to testing and providing treatment for the virus and some other potential indirect costs, such as the cost of uh, delaying treatment for other health issues. This is for healthcare insurance. Now, if I want to talk about other insurers like property and casualty insurers, right now are carefully reviewing policy language, like the language of each single policy, to determine their liability for coverage in various areas. For instance, or many areas, for instance, like uh, they may be required to cover uh, business income losses, which, like if you think, if you read through the literature, those are normally limited like to direct physical damage one more serious issue this is interesting uh, is that these cover biz- businesses may be found lia- uh, liable okay for not taking enough uh, prevention measures this is something to to deal with covid-19 or this is very important you know for discrimination and requiring employees or workers to get tested, tested for the virus this is something that affecting uh, the insurance market. But with all of these issues, if I want to be more specific, amid the uncertainty around the virus or, uh, uh, you know, providing vaccine, hopefully soon, it will be a while before we know the full impact on the insurance industry. But uh, this is something interesting. I think all researchers kind of liking what's going on. I know as a matter of fact, that the COVID-19 would, you know, provide a lot of avenues and research ideas for insurance economists to explore the overall effect of COVID-19 in insurance markets. So like myself, I have some research ideas in my mind that I need to dig deeper to motivate them I cannot give you more detailed information about it right now. But I have some ideas in my mind to see whether they are fit in the literature. And hopefully I can, you know, add something to the body or to the knowledge uh, in the insurance market.
0: What do you think is the thing the Americans who were born here, lived here their whole lives, the biggest thing they don't understand about the
1: Oh, that's a very interesting question. This has nothing to do with the insurance or with with healthcare uh, insurance. Well, I think a lot of people, when I I talk with people about the Middle East, they usually bring up, uh, for instance, the Israeli-Palestinian or the fact that how you guys deal with Israel. And they think like all people in the Middle East, you know, hate Israelis or don't want to deal with Israel or, you know, something like, you know, like this is like they think a lot of middle eastern out there you know have negative stereotypes about americans about europe some some people but this is not the case and i have my mom herself have hosted some of my close friends who used to think that way and you know Believe me or not, you know, they completely changed their mind about the whole Middle Eastern area. Like, we are human beings. We are like Americans. We are like uh, Europeans, you know. I I, I, I don't like that specific question, to be honest, because we are all the same. We are all humans. You know, we love, we respect one another. We can coexist together regardless of our differences or religious affiliation or our culture. Because me, as a Jordanian, I have a complete different culture than you. You are American. You know, like, we we have our differences. But we are human beings. You look at us, you know, we are talking, we are like, we are friends, you know, we've been knowing each other like 10 years back. You see what I'm saying? So it's, you know, it's something that amazes me, like we can, you know, or sometimes bothers me that some people think or have negative stereotype about the whole Middle East. I disagree. We are, we are highly educated. We work closely. Most of the immigrants, doctors, professors, engineers. In the U.S. and in Australia and a lot, part, large part of the Europe are, are Middle Easterns, are Arabs, are Turkish, are Iranians, you know, are Indians, are Chinese, you know, the, most of most of them are. Most of the people who hold PhDs in America are immigrants, well, you know. There are Chinese, Middle Easterns, Arabs, you know, Iranians, Iraqis, Syrians, Jordanians, you name it, you know. And we have managed to make positive change here and back home. Like we are doing like our best. And myself, you know, I want, as I said earlier, I am like expanding my knowledge in insurance, healthcare, insurance. Hopefully, in the future, when I become the prime minister of Jordan, and remember what I'm saying, I will. So I will basically do my best to provide.
0: Your campaign slogan could be "Jordan for Jordan."
1: (laughs) That would be that. I'm I go by Jordan because I'm proud Jordanian and I do love. You know, even my original name and you know that is Ahmed. But I've been going by Jordan from Jordan because it makes me feel home and I really wanted to do something for my country. I think having full understanding, not full understanding, like having a deeper understanding, a more deep understanding of economics and insurance, healthcare insurance would help me in the future to make sure every single Jordanian and every single refugees, we have about five million refugees in Jordan, is fully covered, like when it comes to insurance. And I hope I, will, can, I, I can get there. Well, I, I will be the prime minister.
0: Hopefully someday. Jordan, if you uh, run, let me know. I'll move to Jordan and campaign for you. Um, you're a great guy. I've, I feel like we've been friends forever. And thank you for coming on the podcast.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a pleasure. Thank you so
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Give and Take. If you like what you've heard here, please do a few things for me. Go share about this episode in iTunes. Write a review. Give it a rating. Share the love and goodness. Or go on social media. Share a link to the episode on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Please pass along the love and goodness if you've experienced it here. Thanks again. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Give and Take. And until next time, friends, fare thee well.